What's going on? You got the Middle Tech Podcast here with Evan and Logan, and this is going to be a special request episode. So uh, we had a couple people reach out on our website uh, and request that we talk about uh, COVID-19 yeah. and the effects that it's having on not only the startup ecosystem, but really like the, the space as a whole. So the whole business community, you know, local businesses, um, the university, you know, the university is a big part um, of Lexington. So it's not going to be UK that we're talking to, it's actually going to be EKU which also was a really big feeder school for Lexington. Um, but yeah, we're going to you know spend some time talking about a couple of local uh, effects that are happening around here. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty cool that we got a submission from our website. Shout out to Chase for requesting that we do yeah. an episode like this. Um, and we wanted to kind of take a deep dive into two of the hardest hit industries, in my opinion, um, that are suffering from the the effects of this pandemic. So we're, we're diving in, like Evan said, we're diving into education, um, talking to a professor from EKU, and then we're also going to dive into the local restaurant scene and, and small business entrepreneur. Um, so we're going to be talking to Bryce Anderson for that segment. Yep. So for education, we're going to be talking to my friend uh, Tom Martin. I've known Tom for about four four years now, four or five years now. I met him at uh, Fuji. Uh, so he was involved in Fuji uh, really early, um, hung around there, and I met him, and just he's become a mentor for me, and we love... Uh, Going back and forth on you know education, um, we have uh, I think similar opinions, but we also have very different opinions about education, mm-hmm. uh, and so we like to talk to each other about that. And sometimes it turns into uh, heated debates, which is which is good. Yeah, um, and it's fun. So uh, with Tom, we're going to talk about just how he's been experiencing you know changes. Uh, he's a professor at EKU um, and is head of their economic development and entrepreneurship and innovation there uh, and so we wanted to just sit down with him and understand you know what what it's like to have to immediately transition from you know going to campus and teaching these students in person to now all of it's pretty much zoom mm-hmm. which has been yeah. nuts for him yeah i'll add this too before we dive into tom's segment um so we got the we got the pers- perspective of a professor um i would love it if some of the students listening to this if you guys shot us an email or dm'd us on instagram or anything like that if you guys give us the content to talk about, we'll talk about it. So if, if you're a student listening to this and you'd like to talk about your side of this and how it's affected you as a student, please reach out to us. Uh, we'd be happy to to highlight some of those those yeah. stories. And I, just to make sure that I get Tom's uh, title right, um, just because I think it's important. Very, very important. important. Yeah. Uh, Interim Associate Vice President for Research, Executive Director, Center for Economic Development, Entrepreneurship and Technology. Assistant Professor of Management, Department of Management and Marketing, and International Business at Eastern Kentucky University. So it's a very influential <laughs> guy over there. <laughs> we to make sure uh, we give him that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good call. You know, it's important. Cool. All right, so, yeah. let's go ahead and get into it. So, Tom, how has EKU adapted uh, to this major change going on with coronavirus? Well, given given the change, Evan, I think that uh, uh, EKU has done a good job. The administration, the faculty, the staff, they've all responded well, realizing that we're in a unique situation. Uh, what's interesting is my calendar was littered with meetings. If you look at an Outlook calendar, 
uh, would be littered from meetings with week to week. A lot of those meetings have been canceled uh, because they weren't important or um, because we're focused on, you know, delivering education. Everything else is kind of on the margins. But the meetings we have kept, we've done like we're doing here, jumped on Zoom. People have adapted that uh, pretty quick. Uh, we can also look at what other universities are doing. So uh, I think that's an important, at least an important advantage for us is that our president, Dr. David McFadden, is routinely on telephone calls with the other university presidents, public and private from around the state, and just taking the temperature of the other presidents. What are they doing? Uh, we can either choose to do those things or not. And not every policy that has been implemented has each university followed. But it's a good temperature-taking mechanism to say, well, here's what UK is doing, or here's what Western is doing, or here's what EKU is doing. And I think that's been very helpful to, uh, to help with this change, to have those, be able to have those channels open. Are all those schools communicating pretty well and collaborating on how to, how to handle this whole crisis? I, oh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, the, uh, I know the university presidents have spoken at least four or five times in the last mm -hmm. two weeks. In fact, uh, President McFadden was on the phone yesterday with the university presidents, and he missed a meeting that I was supposed to be in. The meeting ran, missed the next meeting, so they, they've, been a, they've been in conversation because this is, this is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, event and so Absolutely. what's the first step what's the second step you know nobody has the answer but if i have an idea of what the first step should be for president mcfadden to be able to to ping that off of president capilouto mm -hmm. uk or uh president morgan and moorhead whatever it be uh that's a, that's really a good benefit for them yeah. yeah you mentioned zoom um as a technology you guys have adopted how else what are some other technologies and how have you been using technologies to help you get through this well, let me just first say that uh, uh, for perspective, I was mad when we went from chalkboards to whiteboards. So uh, I am not an early adopter when it comes to tech in the classroom. I like having students in the classroom. But I think that, uh, I think we've done a good job. I mean, we're using Zoom. I, I just, 10 minutes ago, had 68 students in a Zoom class. Uh, they were able to chat and send me uh, messages on the side. They were to wave their hand. Uh, we we didn't have anybody that wasn't there that wasn't supposed to be. We're also using YouTube to upload video content. I, I, I'm linking to a lot of stuff on YouTube. Uh, we're using Camtasia and Snagit for recording um, options. We're using Google uh, G Suite and Google Drive for sharing content. Uh, and then over the weekend, I used something called Zencaster. So I interviewed a, um, uh, a person out at uh, a VC out in Colorado, and he had the Zencaster um uh, equipment and so he said well i'll just i'll i'll do the podcast and then i'll email you the file and that that worked out real well so there's eku is using a lot of um, different tech and i'm not even talking about the traditional e-campus um delivery because i'm sure they're using a whole bunch of other tech that i'm not even sure of Th those are the best tech i'm aware yeah and how has your course changed so you talked about what kind of technologies you're using in the classroom you know, or now outside of the classroom, but what about your actual like course, like well, your curriculum and stuff? Yeah. So everybody became a startup in and around March 10th, right? Uh, whether it be higher education, you guys, uh, Avail, uh, Awesome we've all, we all had to readjust, basically start from scratch uh, from the beginning. And I think that uh, teaching in class is no different because it's one thing to be in front of 
70 students, or I also teach an MBA class in front of eight students, plus using 70. It's one thing to be in front of 70 students and being in front of a PowerPoint uh, presentation with a, with a clicker and just kind of clicking through slides. Those PowerPoints, at least for me, are my reminders of what I want to talk about next. They're not necessarily for the student. The student benefits from having my line of thought so they can write notes under each of those bullets because I give them those. But those are for me to say, oh yeah, I want to talk about A, B, C, and D. Well, you can't do that in, uh, in the virtual space the way that, I mean, from taking it from the classroom to the virtual space. So basically I've had to do a new prep for each class that I teach. So starting brand new, uh, redoing the uh, PowerPoint slides, putting, uh, embedding audio into each slide where, where appropriate, putting video in slides where it might be appropriate, tagging to articles, um, uh, other audio content uh, where appropriate. So I think that uh, that's, been, that's been a big change. Now for MBA courses, my MBA that I teach is a uh, impact capstone, which is all the students have gone through the entire program. I get them at the last class. Well, we were supposed to work with an external client where we meet with the client and do a lot of work embedded with the client in their, in their job. That has changed dramatically. So we're trying to do that with Zoom. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So looking at all this change that's going on and how all these schools are using this technology and using it pretty effectively, because I don't think this would even be possible without the technology we have, do you think this changes the way education is perceived and the way education is distributed from here on out into the future? Because, I mean, it's, I feel like it's going to be hard to make the argument that you need to be in class after all this has been able to go on online. Well, I will tell you this, though. The students, and I asked them tonight because I said I'm, I'm going to be coming on with you guys, 68 students, how many of you prefer this delivery over being in class? Even right. though it's more convenient, it's uh, a cost savings, it doesn't cost as much because we don't have to have the buildings. I mean, to your point about what's the future, not one student said this was a better way of doing uh, And these students are, I mean, being in front of a screen, being on tech, that's their life, right? Yeah. And so that none of them, zero out of 68 said, this is a preferable mode of delivery. And I think, I think that, that uh, for example, and I'll give you the great example, the VC that I talked to in Colorado, Traditionally, I would have said, "Man, I'd love to have him in class." Mm -hmm. you know, next time you're in Kentucky, we'll, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll pitch in. This way, we I talked to him this week, and pinned it into a blackboard site, and the students got him right away. So it's not like having him here, but it's a good alternative. Yeah. But I think that it is convenient. But I mean, to you guys, if I had Larry Page and Sergey Brand from Google, I'm like, "Hey guys, come in here real quick." <laughs> that, you know, Logan and Evan, you know, they, they can't be here, but man, it's convenient and it's a cost savings, but you know, they wouldn't want to meet you. Yes, you would. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd, yeah. you'd want to be here. Right. So I think right. that, you know, Spotify is convenient and a uh, cost savings, but man, I've got a lot of vinyl. And I think yeah. that we're going to, we're going to continue to see that we've invested a lot in the socialization that takes place on campus. I think that, you know, from a, and, and this is probably why nobody puts me in charge, but, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, I think it's important for them to be on campus and to have that socialization. Absolutely. Maybe not so much for adult learners or seniors even, but, but I think that we need to be real careful about having come out of this and say, well, look, we just throw everything online. 
we can throw some things online and and having a VC from Colorado jump on at a moment's notice and provide asynchronous content, which means the student is watching and uh, learning at a different time than the, the uh, content's being delivered, that has some advantage. But so does being in the classroom, me feeding off the student, me engaging with the student. I think that we'll never, that whenever, and we shouldn't want to lose that. I think culturally, yep. universities need to say, yeah, this is this has got some this has got some fine points, but being in the classroom, that engagement that takes place day to day, is uh, a far superior uh, mode. Yeah, I totally agree with uh, what you're saying about having freshmen and sophomores on campus. I mean, I really enjoyed my experience at UK, um, but I think I got more out of the pulling me out of my comfort zone socially and challenging me to learn how to meet people and hold conversations and that whole aspect of it is the same amount of value as the degree that I got as a result of going to that school. So I, I don't think that you can replace that online because I'm sure in your classroom, you have these very intimate interactions with your students. Um, that's just, it's a lot harder to have those online. You know, those, those moments don't present themselves as often. And intimate conversations that, that don't go well, right? If a student yeah. is doing poorly and you have that uncomfortable conversation, those conversations, you need to know how to be able to, react to those conversations, adapt, mm -hmm. and move on. Yep. And you go down in the real world, you've never had that opportunity, and someone gets down your throat about your poor performance, and you say, well, I've never had that happen to me. That's that's not a good thing. You need to have that. And the consequences, guys, of what we do in the classroom relatively are low, right? If, if, you, get a, if you get a bad grade in week three, it's not like we close up campus and say, well, Logan failed. Uh, everybody head to the cars. We're heading out. No you got 15 more weeks or 14 more weeks, whatever it is, to make up your grade, and we're there to piece you along the way. Mm -hmm. You do poorly in your job in week three, and they're like, well, they didn't really know if Logan was the right fit, and you do screw up. They're going to get rid of you. We don't do that here. And so I think there is real benefit to that continually teaching, continually mentoring and coaching, yeah. uh, you know, that refined performance appraisal that we do in real time where the consequences are, yeah, you got a bad grade in week three, but – we got 15 more weeks to, to improve upon that. That's a great perspective and a great point. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could do, I'm sure we could do a full episode just talking about education and your, your perspective as, as it relates to COVID-19. Um, Which good. Is, Evan and I have had yeah. some conversations. So. <laughs> Tom yeah. and I are always talking. Yeah. Evan told me about some of your, your conversations <laughs> and some of the critiques we that you give him about that. Uh, yeah. Evan likes to, likes to bash on the educational system every now and then, doesn't he? He does. And I like to correct him. So that works out real well. But I mean, Evan makes some, Evan makes some good points and, and Evan would not disagree about what you said about the experience of the being on campus. He doesn't disagree with those. No. Stuff yep. at all. So I, I know what he, I know what his opinions are and I love to come back and make that case to you guys sometime. Yeah, we'll Absolutely. Do awesome. Tom. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, all I right. appreciate you coming on. Talk to you later. All right, guys, we hope you uh, you got some insight into what the educational institutions are actually going through right now. Um, we really enjoyed that that conversation with Tom. And, and uh, Tom, if you're listening, thanks for coming yeah. on and, and talking with us. It's, um, been, uh, it's been crazy to see the yeah. education part. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a brother who's in college right now, and just talking to him, um, I know you and I have talked a couple times about if they, if they could go all online courses in the fall, it's going to be pretty crazy to see the amount of kids that – either choose to just get a job during this time and wait until things go back to normal or, or opt for yeah. a university that's cheaper, but offers online, online classes as well. Or I was thinking about like the high school seniors, you know, yeah. if I'm a high school senior and, yeah. uh, 
I'm about to go to college and I can't go on campus, then I'm not sure why I would go. Exactly. Yeah. If I'm paying the same prices. Yeah. I've got, I've got a cousin that's in Dave Herf. I'll give him a shout out. Uh, he got a scholarship to go and cheer for Purdue. And um, I was actually wondering how that's going to affect him through all this. You know, you, you've got that scholarship lined up, but there's not going to be football or basketball. There's not going to be anything for you to go and actually, yeah. you know, exercise your scholarship for. So, well, yeah. it's, and I feel bad for the professors because, like, you know, I'm sure they love getting up in front of those, those yeah. students and teaching. Yeah. I, and I, uh, I, spoke, I speak to a couple entrepreneurship classes, and I did it uh, both of those last couple of weeks, and it's just not the same. No, not you, at all. You can't feed off the energy. You can't get questions. I mean, we feel that when we do these Zoom calls. Like, yeah. it's great to be able to, to do them during this, but the energy yeah. is just not the same. To, to not actually be able to shake someone's hand and sit here next to them and talk to them, it's a different feel. You can't read it. Read their faces yeah. well, easily. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So for this next segment, um, like I mentioned, we're, we we sat down with Bryce Anderson. Um, so Bryce is somebody that's got his hand in a lot of different businesses here in Lexington, um, and businesses that have been affected affected pretty seriously through this pandemic. So Bryce is owner of Breakout Games. Uh, he is owner of Vinaigrette Salad Kitchens, and he is a franchisee of uh, fr- of Orange Leaf Frozen Yogurts. So all industry or all businesses that are brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, that have had to shut down due to this. So we got to talk to Bryce about how he's been dealing with that, um, some of the some of the planning that's gone into it to try and make sure that his employees can can make it through this time as well. And man, I would not want to be I would not want to be making those decisions right now. So uh, I just hope that everything goes back to normal as soon as possible, so that entrepreneurs like Bryce are, do not feel this yeah. do not feel this for too much. Yeah, longer. I mean they need people coming through the doors. Um, and I was thinking, you know, before you recorded this, like what what do you think you missed the most? Um, in Lexington, as far as Keeneland. restaurants, <laughs> brick and mortar. Let's talk about yeah. the local restaurants. Though. Like, um, what are some of the places that I miss? I miss. Or what do you miss about going to like these in-person places? Because it's I miss scootering over to Blue <clears throat> Stallion and having dads and sitting outside. Oh yeah, and just like the atmosphere. Yeah, it's we got dads anymore. the other day. Yeah, just picking up from the from the sidewalk. It's not, not the same. same. It's not the same. All right, cool. We're we're gonna dive into this conversation with Bryce. We hope you guys enjoy. All right, we're sitting here with Bryce Anderson. Uh, he's a member of our startup community that's got some franchises around the community that are obviously being pretty heavily impacted right now by COVID-19. So Bryce, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. Yeah, how are you doing through all this stuff? I mean, it's something that I've never experienced before. We started our first business um, almost 10 years ago, and this is by far the, the weirdest, most difficult thing we've had to figure out. But I think that's the case for everyone in the startup community or um, the multinational corporation. It's just unprecedented. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know Bryce Anderson, do you want to, you want to dive into your background a little bit and then uh, some of the companies that you're running currently? Yeah. So I'm, me and some friends uh, started a kind of a, we started out with one frozen yogurt shop. So now we have multiple different brands, but um, in October 2010, we started a franchise orange leaf frozen yogurt in Lexington, Kentucky. And that grew to, um, we have a salad restaurant called Vinaigrette Salad Kitchen. And so we have six locations of those and then Breakout Games, which is an escape room company. And we have uh, 44 locations of that. So um, it's headquartered here in Lexington. And I do a lot of the, the branding, marketing, real estate, website, um, those types of activities. For, for the different brands. Yeah, so obviously very brick and mortar type organizations that 
you, we were just talking there for a second. You, you pretty much had to shut down completely for this whole pandemic. So, I mean, when did you realize this is something very serious that is, is going to have a pretty drastic impact on all these businesses? I think in January, I did a little bit of travel and talking with our business partners. I mean, part of, part of, I think what it needs to be an owner and an entrepreneur is to try to look into the future and to try to make predictions on what might happen and to set yourself up for success by mm-hmm. playing to those predictions. And I, it is something that we were talking about for a long, a long time before it really hit. And so January is when it really started as I began looking at what cities I was going to travel through and did they have Corona, especially coming back. So the end of January, I remember thinking, I'm really glad I'm not going through Italy. Yeah. And, um, but when it really started impacting us was the week of March 13th. And that was the week that the NBA shut down and NAA shut down. And that's when our revenues really dropped before then it, it hadn't affected really anything, but it seemed like it was coming. Yeah. I remember that week pretty clearly. I actually remember seeing you that week because I think that was the final time that Evan and I ate out together. We were there. We were at Vinaigrette for uh, yeah for a, a middle tech meeting and you, you passed by, but uh, it seemed like that week just lasted forever because it was just yeah. one thing after the next, like Keeneland got canceled and then March Madness got canceled. And it was just kind of a surreal world there for a, about a full week of, Oh my gosh, this is and it just kept building. It just kept building yeah. and building and then yeah. came to a head. Yeah. yeah. So put us in the head of um, somebody like you that owns restaurants. When, when all this started to, to take place, the first thing that goes through your head as a restaurant owner is what? How does this affect you immediately and what went through your head? I mean, I think the first thing is how do we keep our place clean and how do we um, keep our employees healthy and our guests healthy? Um, Because you don't know if it's going to be something that's going to pass quickly and we just need to make sure there's no outbreak in our restaurants or escape rooms or but it starts with the, the health and cleanliness. So we stepped those things up, made sure if there's anyone who is feeling at all sick that they should not come in. And we say that anyways, um, but we really, um, each shift we would talk to, to people and make sure that there was no one there that wanted to still come to work, but felt a little bad. Um, and then immediately after that is obviously revenue because revenue really solves a lot of problems in business. And if you don't have revenue, you don't have a business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, we say if there's no revenue or profits, it's more of a hobby than a, than a business. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. so we, um, when it really started uh, tanking in terms of the revenue, I think it happened all over the country. First, it was really in Seattle and you see it's our revenue numbers down 70% in, in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and open table has some really good data about that. If you're interested in looking at it, but, they're tracking it by city, what the revenue differences are. And so once that started dropping, then we began to think, what do we need to do to give us the best chance of success when this opens back up, whether it's two months or four months or six months. And most of our decisions that we made once we saw the revenue start dropping were based on that. And so a lot of that's based around cash. A lot of that's based around the employees. Um, and, and so we began, um, closing kind of one-off locations, especially when it became state mandated. And then eventually for breakout, we closed all our locations. Um, pretty much within a week, all of them were closed. Yeah. And then we closed three vinaigrettes, but have, still have three left open and we closed um, our orange leaf locations. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have, it's, we're going on a month now of, of the shutdown in this quarantine period. Yeah. 
what does this look like downstream now that stuff has been closed for a month and all these businesses are missing out on on prime time for making revenue? You know, it's springtime, everyone's coming out again after winter. What does this downstream effect look like? And maybe to to add to that, what does it look like now that we've got these uh, disaster relief loans that are going out? Yeah, I, I mean, I think survival is the word that I think a lot of people are using. How do you survive to get to the end? No one's thinking about how do we make money during this mm-hmm. time. It's really how do we continue paying the employees we're able to, um, and then how do we make sure the employees that we've had to furlough are in the best case, the best spot possible. Yeah. Um, so I mean that the the effect goes, um, customers lose confidence in going out and even being around. Um, other people, which leads to loss of revenue. And then you have combination of state mandates that close restaurants. And so I think those do play into each other. And a lot of people are talking now when the government, federal government or the state government, when are they going to open the economy back up? Mm-hmm. But I think you, a big part of it is when do people have confidence to go out and yeah. interact with people and sit shoulder to shoulder yep. with someone that they don't know, or even with someone that they do know. Yeah. Um, so that that's really where it started, and then um, and so now we are still have three locations opened, and we're trying to basically make enough money to pay our employees, and yeah. and then we've cut all future new um, new projects that we might have been working on our website design; those become non-essential, and so it cuts those costs, and so that hurts um, that other uh, those other businesses that do that type of work. And then obviously landlords is a big deal yep. when you have revenue, that's half of what it normally is. And in the restaurant industry, especially your margins are so small. And so no restaurant can really do great on half the revenue um, yeah. they, they're used to. And so then paying rent becomes really hard. So you have a lot of difficult conversations with landlords and then landlords have to have difficult conversations with their banks and then banks have to have difficult conversations with um, the regulators. Mm-hmm. And so you are seeing a um, cascading effect yeah. that I think you're going to see in every industry. Yeah. I think you painted, I think you painted a really good picture of the whole waterfall of how the economy works in general. Just, you know, how if you're a business hiring somebody to redesign the website that flows down when you have to cut that project. And then before you know it, it's spreading all over the place. And when it's on this massive scale in the way that our economy works, it pretty much shuts down the entire country and the entire way that we operate. Yeah. I think it is, this is where um, the long-term investment and relationships do matter a lot Mm -hmm. with, we've tried really hard to engage with our landlords as we go through this and engage with our contractors as we go through this, instead of saying, we're not paying you anymore. We'll see if we ever work together again, really involving and having, because it is people It's we're people running the business and there are people running their businesses. And this is where when you've worked with someone for five years, you can talk like friends and the goal is that we both come out on the other side of this. And so how do we make sure that that happens? Mm-hmm. And when you have a lot of people having that type of conversation, um, it allows you to increase your chance of success on the other end. If you have people being really protective and saying, um, we got to do what's best for us. I'm not going to engage in a conversation with you. I think that's when you start to get into a war with people. Um, and thankfully we just haven't been in that spot. We just have really, really thankful for the landlords that we have and the contractors that we have and, and the employees that we have who understand. Um, and it's the hardest thing to, 
to furlough people, um, yep. furlough our friends, furlough people that have worked with us for a, a lot of years and given a lot to our companies. And, um, you know, it's obviously not, it's not personal, but it, 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 it just affects you personally. It affects us personally. So it's been, it's been a hard thing to do things that we you know, hate to do. But I think on the other end of it, in two months or three months, whenever this is over, I think we've set ourselves up at the best possible way to be able to come out and reopen. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the whole goal in making decisions quickly and furloughing quickly and closing locations quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> so what what do you do from here? What's what's the next move? And when this opens back up, have you guys planned on what that looks like? Yeah, I think there's so much unknown. They, there's two two factors, I think, in this whole um, equation. One is the depth of the the virus and how how many people get it, how many people die. That's a catastrophe. And I, I think that's where the medical community is really working. And that's the flatten the curve is to decrease the depth. And then from the economic sense, the length is what's really important. How long is the economy closed down? If it's two more weeks or is it two more months or six months, the length of that is a big deal. How long can landlords go without receiving rent? Mm-hmm. And that depends on how long they can go without paying their loan. And um, so I think that's what is really hard in the unknown, even with these, the, the stimulus packages, there's just so much unknown and the government you know, printing $2 trillion and giving out $350 billion and trying to ask for another $250 billion, but trying to get it out into people's hands in a week and a half. That's really difficult to do. Yeah. And so it seems like everyone is working together and the camaraderie and this is, is, is pretty neat to see, but there's so much unknowns. Um, and we expect in order to open up again, it's going to take some work and it's going to take some cash um, I don't know if it's going to be a mandate going to come from the state and then people will be allowed to go to restaurants, but then it'll be trickling and it'll come up slowly or people will be um, so sick of being indoors. And if a medical breakthrough happens, then it'll be a flood of people going out and it matters a, a great deal, which trajectory yeah. um, it takes. Yeah. That's a great point on if it's all at once or if it's like a trickle effect. Like- you know, I think everyone would love for it to be all at once. It's a big party in the streets and everything. I think that's the best case scenario of it's just boom. Everyone's comfortable with, with going back to the way things were because they're going to have a lot more confidence if there's a vaccine of some sort to actually give protection against, against COVID. Well, you, start to, you start to appreciate the ability and the experience of going to a restaurant. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and just sitting there in the restaurant, talking with the people preparing your food. Like It's totally different when you just pull a f- – a phone out and just order mm-hmm. on a phone. It's a totally different experience. Part of the experience of, you know, the food industry is getting that in person, you know, sit down and enjoy it or speak with the people preparing your food. You know, that's, that's part of the experience. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think it is really important. Um, you know, the cliche phrase is hope for the best plan for the worst. And I think um, a lot of times you do see people hoping for the best and planning for the best. That doesn't get you very far. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, if it, if it takes off and in, in a month we're blowing and going, that is great, but that is not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting yeah. it to take some time. I think the confidence levels need to be high. And even, 
even if revenues go from being down, I think restaurants are like down 40 to 60% depending upon the restaurant for those that are open, you know, for those that are closed, it's zero, obviously. Yeah. Um, to go to being only down 20% is not great. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Um, luckily we just have a really good team and, um, we have a good, group of owners who we get to talk through this so i don't have to make this decision all on my own which is really helpful yeah that's big for sure having having a team to go through this that has your back and and uh is navigating this together so so to wrap this up um something that i've seen that i thought was really cool was this whole lex unite thing and seeing the community kind of rally behind some of these local local businesses um would you mind just talking for a second about this this community support that you've seen and if there's anything that you'd like to kind of say to the community on, on continuing to do the support and how we can support you best. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like what people's priorities should be. And I think um, a lot of times people either insulate and just try to protect themselves. But I think that is like a, that is a step in the process. If you don't try to protect what you have and think about how do we open up in the most successful way in two months, you have a lower chance of, actually opening and it's not good for you, your landlords or employees or the community. So I think taking a step to um, take inventory of what you have and what you need to do, but then begin looking at how you help others. And I think we're kind of at that stage now that things have been closed down for four weeks. And there's some really, really cool things. The YMCA opening up to take care of the um, childcare for all the healthcare workers yeah. um, was a big deal. And so Vinaigrette, we're bringing, salads to them multiple times a week to, That's to awesome. the people babysitting those kids. And um, you just see so many different things around the city. I think the Lee, the Lee Institute or the Lee Foundation um, is serving meals to the healthcare or um, to the restaurant workers um, over at Great Bagel off Boston Road, free of charge. And you have, you have some people that are going to, um, receive unemployment and some people that are going to receive this extra 1200 buck check, but there's some people who are a little more off the grid and our, our restaurant industry is um, a lot of time fueled by um, people that may not get those checks. And so that's a really neat organization. There's a lot of things like that happening. Um, that's exciting to see. Um, yeah. But it is, it is hard when everyone is, everyone is hurting it'd be helpful if like half the people were doing great and half the people were hurting. So then you'd be easy to know where the money should flow. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. But it does bring you more together. And absolutely, um, that's happened with a lot of our talks with employees and contractors is kind of, we're all in this together and we'll all come out of it together. All right, guys, we hope that conversation with Bryce gave you some insight into what entrepreneurs who own these brick and mortar establishments are really going through during this time. These establishments that just cannot function when the economy is, is not actually open. Um, so now we'd like to just give you guys some updates on the podcast, what we've got going on and how we've kind of been adapting and handling all these changes. Um, as I mentioned before, as we were transitioning into Bryce's episode, it's just different right now, right? I mean, we can't get the same, the same connection with our guests as we'd like to get when they're sitting right here next to us. And we're, we're looking, looking at each other in the face and, you know, doing it on Zoom is, is great. We're happy to have the capability to do that and to continue on um, through this pandemic. But yeah, it's just it's just not the same, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Zoom quickly became, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Zoom quickly became an important part of like the telecommunications industry. Mm-hmm. It almost became like a telecom company. It's like people aren't picking up the phone. They're Zooming. 
They're not yeah. doing conference calls. They're zooming. <laughs> um, it's really like the technology is just adapt, like adapted and, and changed so much over time. And it like really wasn't so apparent until now. It's like, I haven't, I don't call people as much anymore. I just tell them to get on zoom or, um, I mean, especially for group, for group become. meetings, yeah. you're not going to have, well, I guess maybe older generations still prefer a conference call, but I think it's much better to have the, yeah. be able to see somebody's expressions and you can at least yeah. have a little bit of that reading expressions and body language through zoom, not as much as you would in yeah. person, obviously, but still Verizon. So, I mean, obviously one of the biggest telecom providers bought, uh, uh, blue jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you the one that sent me the mail? It was a funny tweet about it. Um, <laughs> I'll have to find it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Verizon Wireless bought a Zoom competitor. And it was basically like Zoom. The meme was like Zoom uh, in an executive meeting was like, we got to buy. Or um, Verizon was like, we got to buy Zoom. And everybody was like, well, it's like one-third of our market cap. And they're like, okay, just buy Blue Jeans. <laughs> well, okay, so for people who don't know what Blue Jeans is, I had to educate myself a little bit on this as well because I'd never heard of Blue Jean. So despite the name Blue Jeans, it's actually a much more dressed-up version of Zoom. As I've I understand it. it. Is, Viacom, it, is it? I used it for Viacom when I used to work with Viacom. Is it? Is it nice? It's kind of clunky. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's it's not as user friendly. It okay. Let's say a more dressed up version of Zoom. That's just what I'm going to leave it at because I don't know a ton about it. Um, but yeah, some other stuff going on with the podcast. What else we got going on? We are launching a newsletter at the end of this mm-hmm. month. So Nico and I have been working on that a lot, um, and that's going to be exciting. So we're going to try to reach you guys in a new way. You know, it's podcasts are great. Um, these videos that we're doing are good. So you can mm-hmm. actually see our faces, you know, a little bit more. And, um, now we're going to do newsletters and we've got some exciting ideas for a newsletter. You know, there are newsletters out there for sure. I mean, everybody subscribes to newsletters and they've just kind of become just a regular email for a lot of people. Yeah. And sometimes you just get it and delete it. But, um, yeah. we're talking about ways to, to do it a little bit different, which is exciting. More news to come. Cutting edge, cutting edge stuff. Um, what else? We've got some some good content coming out. We're going to try to get you guys a little bit more information on kind of like why we started Middle Tech and what Middle Tech is and what mm-hmm. uh, it's going to become. So that's important. You know, we we always try to get to tell. We always try to tell you guys, you know, the story of Middle Tech and why we did it. Um, I think that helps you guys, you know, connect with it a little bit better uh, because it's really important to us. And hopefully, you know, the tech ecosystem is important to you. So it's important to know that why. Um, so we're making some content around that. Uh, but we've also got a big event. Coming up next month uh, in partnership, or we are partners with uh, Startup Grind. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So this is kind of goes back to just being adaptive during these times. And a lot of these <clears throat> events that would have otherwise been in person have now been moved to a, to a virtual space. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Eric reached out to us and had this idea for an event. And we've, we've been brainstorming on it and we've got a really cool guest speaker lined up. And I think we're going to have some really cool content um, yeah. pretty much specifically aimed at those people who are about to go into the real world in one of the worst job economies that we've seen in, in our lifetime. This is probably the worst time to graduate in uh, U.S. history. That's, yeah. Probably. Maybe. Great Depression, maybe, I guess you could say. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of close. Yeah. You know, as far as like right now, jobs, you know, yeah. nobody's going to be hiring. Um, yeah. Very few people are going to be hiring. I don't want to say nobody. <laughs> I don't want to break it out a lot of hopes, but. It's not good. But we have the good news there yes. is that we have some we have some what we think is really valuable content on how to navigate this if you are a, a senior um in college about to graduate and just honestly a little bit freaked out like like I know we would we would all be if we were in those shoes. So 
We're trying um, to instill you know, a little bit of the entrepreneurship mindset yeah. you know, to these yeah. to these graduating students. I think that's super you know. important. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these students, I mean, it's just the nature of college. You go through college and, you know, it's hit this benchmark, get this grade, you know, graduate or get through this class, get this uh, final done, and you just keep going through college and it's just step mm-hmm. by step and step, and that's yep. how the real world works. Yeah. And so when you come to a time when you're supposed to be graduating, the next step is you get a job, and that step is not there, students are going to freak out because they were not taught or prepared for that. You know, that they're not prepared for that. Yeah, you know, they're supposed to get a job right after college. Like that's why, you know, these counselors work with them so much, and that's why you go to college. And if that's not there, then they're going to have to completely change their mindset and understand a totally different mind frame, which is, you know, entrepreneurship and the way to approach that, or at least the way entrepreneurship thinks. Uh, an entrepreneur would think about, you know, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, uncertainty is a large part of you know entrepreneurship. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know if your idea is going to work. You never know if what you've been working hard on is, is going to grow. Um, and it's just always that uncertainty and entrepreneurs know how to handle that very well, the successful ones. Yeah. Um, so we just want to kind of you know prepare students for that level of uncertainty that's going to be happening without a question in their lives. You know, it's yeah. just, it's not a matter of if they're going to come out of college and have these uncertain times. It's just a matter of, you know, how they're going to handle it. Cause it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. And I think we'll have some good uh, not only are our guest speakers gonna gonna have some awesome advice for it, but I feel like you and I are gonna be able to speak to this pretty well because one, you're in the middle of, of starting a company, and I've started doing some different nonprofit stuff, just trying to find ways to help out right now. And and I will say this time is really exciting because new problems have arisen um, that you are not used to seeing. So if you can just recognize those problems and go after something right now, is it's kind of like the wild west out yeah. there right now in terms of just new problems popping up and people searching for different solutions for things. So we're really excited to bring that content to you guys. Um, stay tuned for more information on that because we're still hashing out details, um, but we'll be providing updates as we get closer to that date. Yep. Cool. All right, you guys. Have a great week. See ya.